This copyrighted podcast is presented by the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council. The opinions and views shared by those of non-paid guests on the business of blueberries are those of our guests and do not represent the views, positions, or policies of the USHBC. The blueberry industry is like no other, passionate, resilient, and innovative. This podcast is your source for the latest information on the management, markets, research, and technology related to blueberry production. This is the business of blueberries. Here's your host, president of the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council, Casey Cronquist. Well, welcome back to another episode of The Business of Blueberries, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to the blueberry industry. Now, I'm on the road again this week, this time to the great state of Georgia. And as we prepare for season two of The Business of Blueberries, I thought it would be a great time to reflect on some of the most insightful moments from season one of this podcast. It is then no surprise to you that some of the best insights came from our blueberry growers. So this week, we have decided to condense a few of these highlights from our first season into this episode. What you are about to hear are those curated moments from episode nine with Tom Avanellis, episode 16 with Denny Doyle, and episode 36 with Brittany Lee. All three are blueberry growers and leaders within our industry that packed a ton of wisdom into their episodes that is worth highlighting again before we set off into season two. Now, you may be wondering which are those moments? And what did these three growers say? You also might be thinking, hey, I've already listened to those three episodes, but I still recommend sticking around because these are some of the best moments from season one packed in today's short program, providing you with a shot of inspiration, perspective, and encouragement. If you haven't listened to these three episodes, you'll want to go back and be sure to download all of them after finishing this one. Two of the most important questions we can ask in the business of blueberries are, where is the blueberry industry headed? And what can we do to position ourselves for success? All three of today's guests will provide important insights to help answer those questions. Starting with Tom Avanellis, Tom is the founder and managing partner at Agriculture Capital, which invests in enterprises to grow, pack, and market high-value produce. His interview in episode nine has been brought up often by other guests we've had on the show. Particularly, he comments about making sure that we, as an industry, delight customers every single time. So I think it's a great place to start our episode. Realistically, most of the time, if I had to take a look at what are the goals, it's how do we continually build a culture of delighting our customers every single time? Now, I know that may sound a little bit odd, but realistically, those of us in the blueberry business, we're in the food business. And we need to recognize that we as farmers, what we're nourishing and what we're growing, and what we're so proud of is quality blueberries that are going to have to delight our customers consistently to be successful. For those that are packing and handling the fruit, that same diligence and helping them understand that culture of what takes place. And for those at the packing houses that are packing and placing the clamshells to make sure that we get all those pieces right with cold chain and that detail, we're all intricately involved in this aspect of how do we deliver to the consumer, the housewives, the children, the families of the United States and across the world, a product that they're delighted every single time. And so that culture build, both within operations and even with the mindset of of our investment team, is critical because that's what will drive the long-term success of this business, that regardless of who it is, they've got to be delighted by what they're eating and what they're receiving 
And what a blessing to be a part of this industry. Absolutely. Well, and to that end, what information can you share? What, what drives you down that road, believing that the organic label or the organic production or that transparency of the production downline? Talk to me a little bit about that from uh, start to finish when it gets to the actual decision making from a consumer standpoint on why this is important to you from a business standpoint and how you see that going forward. Well, I think it goes a little bit to a number of the core values that we have. We are cultural capital, especially with uh, what we call it EATS, which is excellence, accountability, transparency, and stewardship. And uh, organics is really a foundation of, I think, transparency of the consumer. The consumer really wants to know what's in the food that they eat. Uh, the consumer this day and age will spend more time reading packaging and wanting to understand. They want to be connected to the grower. There is a growing appreciation for those of us that grow the healthy food that consumers are eating. That is a large reason why we're seeing the double-digit growth in organic. But I think that goes for both organic and conventional. I, I think that transparency and helping the, the consumer better know and connect to the land is positive for our industry. And we see that with a lot of what's going on in society today. Not only is it from the practice you employ, but also is what are the standards of ethical labor practices that are being uh, employed for these operations where the food comes from? All of these connected points, I think, are important to the consumer today. Uh, the younger generation of consumers are far more discerning about what they eat. It, it almost uh, evolves to the point at times that in the depths of their knowledge is really, I think, surprising in many aspects in terms of the depth of technology we have and data we have and how much research so they'll look into something and where it comes from and, and who's involved with it and what's taking place. Our ability for traceback, our ability for different forms of informing the consumer about the grower, about the farm, about uh, the practices that take place, I think those are huge selling points to the consumer. And, and as much as anything else, they continue to align with the values that we have in the blueberry industry for I, as a consumer, am eating what's healthiest for me. You need to confirm how it's being grown so that I know that it's being grown in a manner that I know what I'm eating. And that communication, that information, and that knowledge, I think, will continue to build consumers. As I said in the beginning, we have to delight our customer every single time. And that transparency helps delight that customer every single time. Talk a little bit about innovation in your mind, thinking more specifically about what does Tom want to see innovation look like for the blueberry industry going forward? Well, I think innovation takes many avenues. Now, we certainly recognize the pressures that are on the blueberry industry, issues around labor in the West Coast drought, regulations, these new COVID protocols. All these details are significant in terms of how we operate and so where do you put innovation in each of these different aspects? We've talked many years in terms of already the aspect of mechanization. It's one of the reasons why I believe of all the berry categories, our greatest opportunity can be in blueberries because it is the only of the berry categories that can be truly economically and efficiently mechanically harvested at this time. I say that with a caveat because there is a huge evolution in that innovation to do it well. And it evolves genetics, plant structure, the equipment itself, post-harvest handling, the technology, the packing house, 
and understanding that product and turn time to the consumer. All those pieces have to be in place to implement the, the technology. We've done the same thing with a significant investment in the Unitech packing equipment that we utilize in our facilities uh, at Sublimity outside of Salem is the ability to segregate individual berries, look through that berry with infrared light to pick out microbruising and separate that in order to still put up a extremely high quality fresh pack with mechanically harvested fruit is an essential piece of this, how you put innovation into work in each segment of what you're doing. These are elements that from a grower standpoint through the process that we need to continue to put innovation in place. Well, and, and I'm glad we're talking about this. Having had a chance to kind of walk on your farm with you just briefly recently, it was impressive to just see the scale at which, you know, your operation is moving forward with the machine harvesting and certainly the hand picking. And, and maybe you can kind of just give us a sense of where you started and where you are today. Yeah, as, as you said, we started in, in the first planting was 25 acres of trying to keep half the plants alive most of the time. In the first years, if we if we did a couple thousand pounds per acre, we thought we were doing pretty well. Today in California, we harvested a little over five million pounds this year, and we'll push over thirty three million pounds out of Oregon. the The teamwork and and the family of businesses are, and I say family of businesses because you know, with agricultural capital, people look at well the investment world as though is it's a negative, but I I think the reality is, and the way that we look at it is. We're geared to have the capital to help with scale to create greater opportunities to both produce at scale, but also to support the small local growers in our process as we go forward also. We're doing this within our frozen operations for Firestone Pacific Foods where, you know, it's, it's a freezer that we're looking to continue growing more business for opportunities for the small and medium-sized grower, as well as our uh, packing operation at Sublimity that by investing in that technology creates new opportunities for us to pack for, for other growers and marketers in this process to create new opportunities. And uh, we do look at the industry as a family, uh, a family that we need to support through how we, how we grow. It's like, is one of the key things that when we first became a part of USHBC, uh, that atmosphere was created recognizing there's many different factions from all over the country but the core value and passions that we have for blueberries and that, uh, that we have for those who are involved in the industry are working together is what will make us all prosperous in the long term. It's a togetherness needs to be our focus. Well, I couldn't agree more with Tom's comments about delighting the customers and uniting as an industry. But in keeping with today's theme of hearing from growers, let's take a quick break for our weekly crop report. Many parts of the U.S. are either in their peak of their season or gearing up for harvest. So, it's a busy time for our industry. For more on exactly what's happening, here is your Blueberry Crop Report. It's time now for your Blueberry Crop Report, an update on crop conditions and markets from important blueberry growing areas. Today, you'll hear from Matt McCree in New Jersey, Neil Moore in North Carolina, Darren Wheeler in Georgia, and Doug Kramer in Oregon. This was recorded on June 23rd, 2021. Good morning. This is Neil Moore from North Carolina with the crop report for this week. Our tropical system from the Gulf of Mexico passed over the blueberry growing region on Sunday. One to two inches of rain from Claudette were dropped. Monday was a sunny day and hot, followed by a cold front yesterday that passed and brought more rain to the area. Hopefully a more normal summer weather pattern is expected for the coming week. The hand harvest labor here now is very limited 
it's mostly H2A workers that were brought here that are doing most of the work. Most of the crews that were still here at hand harvesting have left for Michigan on Sunday and Monday. Legacy is still the main variety being harvested, mostly fresh fruit. Most of the harvest is being done mechanically. Early rabbit eye varieties are being harvested now for fresh as well. And some high bush varieties are still being processed. We do expect processing to decrease this week as the high bush varieties are finishing up for the season. That's my report for this week. Thank you. Good morning. This is Matt McCree from New Jersey. The past few days, the growing region has had a few storms roll through. Less than disease pressure are under control throughout the growing areas. Farmers stay on top of their cover sprays. Most farms in the area are still working on the first round of Duke and most likely will be jumping into the first round of blue crop by the weekend or early next week. We are at peak volume for Duke right now and we'll be staying with this kind of volume for at least another 14 days. Although our volume is right on cue for a normal year here in New Jersey, most farms are feeling the effects of short labor both in the field and in the packing facilities. And that is my report. Okay, so I'm Doug Kramer. I'm reporting for Oregon. Oregon started picking this week uh, in the southern Willamette Valley, and growers are now picking as up into the mid Willamette Valley. The fruit has sized well and the quality is good. Right now, we're, they're forecasting a heat wave over us this coming weekend. And so most growers are focused on two things. Number one, get her, getting their watering uh, situated so that we have minimal damage and trying to get as much of the ripe fruit off the bushes as we can before the high heat hits. Other than that, things are going pretty well. Next week, I can tell you whether uh, the high heat has caused a problem for us or not. Thank you. All right, so this is Darren Wheeler, and I'll be giving the report for Georgia. Uh, all rabbit eye varieties have been picked at least three times now, and now we are just starting the first pick of the Oglotny variety. Uh, rain, spits, rain splits are now becoming an issue uh, that has not plagued us until now. Uh, fruit quality on Brightwell is uh, struggling with soft, fragile fruit. Uh, the fresh frozen ratio is now flipped, and we will be sending more fruit uh, to the processed market. Uh, we've probably got possibly two more weeks for rabbit eye fruit for the season. Uh, all southern high bush varieties are being pruned and prepped for fall growth. And as for USDA reports through June 20th, uh, Georgia is currently at 31,100,000 pounds on conventional and 3.6 million pounds on organic and approximately 9 million pounds going to the process market. And that is my report. Well, thank you so much to our colleagues who take the time to provide these crop reports and offer a glimpse into how things are going in key regions. For a closer look at what's happening in the blueberry industry, visit ushbc.org forward slash data, where you'll find our data and insight center, including a snapshot view of USDA data on production and price. Now to our second visionary grower on today's episode, someone most of you are familiar with, either from his entertaining crop reports or his appearance on episode 15 and 16. New Jersey blueberry grower and longtime industry leader, Denny Doyle. 
overall vision, and I think it still holds true to this day, was to bring awareness of our blueberries to the consumer. That is the primary foundation reason. You know, today we have all these different committees, and that's great, but the overall thought process was we need to sell more blueberries. All right, now how do you do that? And, you know, we were outreaching to some professional people, and they were telling us, well, you need to get into newspapers, you need to get into radio, you need to get into TV, you need to do these type of things in order for our consumer to, one, buy more, and two, to bring in new consumers. So that was the foundation reason. It was in the 90s that all of a sudden there was starting to get an interest on the research side of it. Then Dr. Jim Joseph, well, on his research, it was the aha moment at that time. You know, I don't know that we had that research vision. We had the promotion vision case. And again, it's what's so great about our industry, because I've always said, if you do nothing at all, that's worse than doing something wrong. So it really started, okay, we got to promote kind of in traditional ways. The computer was out. You know, we didn't email. We didn't text at this point in time or very little. And we were doing a lot of the traditional things, uh, some of the new things. And then, bang, the health research started to hover. And we embraced that. And I was a huge proponent of we don't make a word until the doctors and those type of people say that it is. And that was hard to hold the group back because they just wanted to just say things. Uh, oh, you know, blueberries are good for your <laughs> eyes. Blueberries were good for you here. We, Blueberries. we were right and, there this year, Denny. We were, we were doing this. Yeah, uh, history you know, repeats itself. It does, Casey. It does. You know, we're so fortunate in this business that we are actually the leaders in a health product. There are blueberries on boxes that don't even have blueberries in it. It's that symbol in our consumer. Trust us. That came through a lot of, no, we're not talking about this until the absolute positive research comes. And if that research takes two or three years, so be it. That's the way it's going to be. Well, let's look forward. We talked about the beginning. We talked about sort of the middle here, inception of your sense of your farm and then the role now of USHBC and what tools and opportunity and still exist. But, you know, what gets Denny Doyle out of bed every morning about this business? What's the optimism that drives you to continue to, to work in this business? Well, it's in my blood. I started at eight years old. So that's what drives me. I've been so blessed in that I was able to run along this tide in this wave. It's just so interesting. Again, it wasn't long ago where we had thought the world was coming to an end because we had 34 million pounds in a freezer. And, you know, oh my goodness, what were we going to do? How were we going to handle this? And it's just been so exciting. Just so many great, great people. And, and I think that vision is still there. I do, Case. I think our vision now has to really target towards our overseas consumers, you know, in whatever areas we can get. You know, I'm excited about the Asian theater. 
I think there's a lot of potential there. I enjoyed our conversation just the other day because I asked you the question, you know, the United States consumption rate, and it was really, really enlightening how you positioned that in that our consumption rate right here in the United States certainly can increase. And we do have a history on consumption rate. We grew this business to the largest consumption rate in a period of five years than any other commodity ever grown. Okay, so that's pretty exciting, right? I mean, you're up against the lettuce, you're up against the bananas, you're up against the strawberries, you know, raspberries and all that. And we really focused down on that and uh, I'm kind of proud of that. That's That's pretty neat. We have to focus on our food service, on our frozen division, on our frozen side. And I've been fighting this for five or six years uh, to the point of where some of the people on the promotion committee, they hold their head and say, oh, here he goes again. But that's the truth. You know, I go into the promotion committee and there's several of them, Brian Bocock and a couple of them. Now, don't go off on this frozen stuff. But I see that as a vision. Obviously, do we do things with frozen? Sure, we do. We obviously do. But I just see that frozen side of this to be so much more product development, so much more expansion, not to leave the fresh whatsoever. We need to get that awareness out. And we have professional people that can drive that fresh and they really know this business. But I kept screaming and hollering, give me those same kind of professional visionaries on the frozen side of fruit. In my mind, on the short term of a long-term vision, it's that. I've got that vision case. You asked early on, where do you think this going? Now, you know, it's a little bit more funneled than where I was back in the 70s and 80s because I was grabbing the, the very broad, broad picture of how we could gather and get things together and do this thing as a unit. The younger guys, you being one of them, President Casey, will take that. I'm going to be in this, on the sidelines now funneling down. I'm getting older and funneling down on what new product development have we created? What new Slurpee is out there? And I just see that happening. I just do. That's where I am. Denny's comments are a perfect segue into our Marketing Boost segment. So here is USHBC NABC Vice President of Marketing and Communications, Jennifer Sparks. Thanks, Casey. Let's talk PR. Yes, public relations, a way to earn media coverage for blueberries and your business. Generating media coverage is a powerful way to capture consumers' attention and get them thinking about blueberries. Working with the media is an opportunity to establish your business as the local expert within your community. Everyone loves blueberries, right? Well, yes, but that's not enough to engage reporters. They want to know what's the news. The fact is, reporters are more likely to cover news that is timely and local. Well, it's almost July, so National Blueberry Month is the perfect opportunity to reach out to your local media and establish yourself as a reliable expert resource now and for future stories as well. Even if you aren't at peak season in July, you can still use the occasion as your pitch to get your foot in the door. In 
Invite your favorite reporter to see your operation firsthand, a behind-the-scenes look at how blueberries are grown, how long your business has been part of the community, the state of your region's industry. You may be thinking, that all makes sense, but I have no idea how to get started. We've made it easy for you with a new section in USHBC's National Blueberry Month Toolkit, available at ushbc.org toolkits. In the toolkit, just look for the section on media tips, and it's all there. Advice on contacting and pitching your local media, event outreach, key talking points, and interview tips. It's your time to establish key relationships that can pay off throughout the year. This has been your Marketing Boost. Thank you for your partnership, as together we inspire the world to grab a boost of blue. Casey, back to you. Thanks, Jenny. Well, now turn our attention over to Blueberry Grower and the Executive Director of the Florida Blueberry Growers Association, Brittany Lee. Brittany will share about the leadership in genetics that helped pave the way for the rise in blueberry production in Florida. Then we'll get some of the challenges of this past year and where things will go from here. I thought this would be a good clip to end on because my comments that conclude episode 16 with Brittany are still very true today. But first, here's a look at a little more about what led Brittany and her family into the blueberry business. My parents started a, an ag real estate business in the early 70s. Um, they were involved in rural ag developments, at which point one of the properties that they had uh, acquired in the mid-2000s uh, is actually the center of our current blueberry farm. Around that time, real estate seemed pretty tumultuous. You might remember the real estate crash around 2007. We'd always been involved in civiculture management, which is uh, pine trees, but made the family decision to move into something a little bit more commercially intensive uh, in agriculture. And then eventually, you know, wound up with blueberries. And I know you've had uh, several of our University of Florida breeders and past breeders in, in your podcast, but uh, Dr. Paul Irene was actually the first person I called to learn more about blueberries. And at the time, I had no idea how influential he was in the blueberry world, um, you know, top two or three blueberry mines probably in the world. And he picked up on the first ring and, you know, talked to me for an hour and a half, which was, um, you know, both refreshing. And, and I've always been very appreciative of his conversations and, and advice. Yeah, I would say that uh, in my experience speaking with him on episode 26, I appreciate that, you know, he doesn't have any sort of air about him, you know, despite the fact that we recognize what he's accomplished in his career, he's so conversational and so personable. And it was just really easy to talk to him at a time that you'd otherwise, at least for for me, being new to the industry entirely, like yourself, you'd be intimidated, but you know, such a great guy. But Florida in general has a, you know, an amazing legacy of blueberry breeding. How has that influence of Florida's breeding history or legacy contributed to the grower's success there in Florida? Well, in my lifetime, uh, the Florida blueberry industry went from a very small niche industry to the cornerstone of you know domestic production. We're the first state uh, to produce blueberries, and and that's in large part due to the University of Florida IFS breeding program. You know, the the breeders there saw an opportunity to lengthen domestic production by filling a, a void and a gap. Uh, there was once, you know, three or four weeks of the year where the only fresh blueberries in the world were available from Florida, actually from my area of Florida. 
and that, like I said, is is predominantly because of the the work done by the University of Florida IFAS breeding program. And we're so grateful to that because they really helped build the commercial blueberry industry here. You know, 30 years ago, it was, like I said, maybe a 400 acre boutique industry, mostly rabbit eyes. Uh, and now we grow a Southern Highbush blueberry, which is larger, sweeter, you know, just more enjoyable for the consumer. Yeah, well, and I think, you know, if there was an event last year that drew me closer to anybody, it was the pandemic and talking to you over the phone on the, all those many days, uh, kind of post shutdown, dealing with both USDA and kind of the the aid that came forward from those challenging weeks. And, you know, you and I work closely on the NABC side, of course, as it relates to the advocacy efforts, but eventually resources were made available and then work began again because blueberries were left out of the category one original CFAP payment program for our farmers. And, and again, you were on the front lines for that, helping to uh, collect all the information we needed in order to present the data to the USDA and, and making sure that the calculations or the research was put in place to you know help folks understand the consequences of this shutdown uh, and our farms. One of those things that you were on the front line this year over is the 201 investigation, the U.S. ITC investigation on the challenges being faced by global imports domestically here in the country went forward. And you were a part of the proponents team, provided testimony during the U.S. ITC hearing. I thought maybe we could just touch here a little bit about the process that just took place and the conclusion, the outcome. Sure. Well, of course, we as an industry are disappointed in the ITC's decision. But I, I think that the investigation in general really brought to light a major issue that we're facing in Florida agriculture and agriculture in the Southeast uh, and in U.S. agriculture. Uh, it's absolutely impacting the blueberry industry nationwide. And it's something that I think we as a country uh, and as growers really need to seek out a way to, to address this. Of course, there's competing regions that are uh, growing. I think earlier I said there was three weeks of the year where the only fresh blueberries in the world uh, were from this area of Florida. Well, that's no longer the case. And of course, we're not, we're not against competition. We're not against capitalism. But you know, there's different labor costs. There's different production costs, different governmental regulations. What we would like as Florida growers, of course, is an even playing field. But we're going we're gonna to continue to produce blueberries. We're going to continue to uh, go to work every day, just like we did in the pandemic, to provide our consumers with a safe and healthy product uh, that's healthy for them. And, you know, we're going to move forward. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you, you know, about what moving forward looks like. As you know, here at the USHBC, uh, as a federal program, unable uh, to participate at all in any sort of way in those investigations and, and had to stand down. In fact, both USHBC and NABC remain neutral, uh, both boards announcing a neutral position uh, when the ITC investigation was announced. But where does this leave us as an industry moving forward? What, what, what's your vision on next steps? I mean, our next step is going to be the same as it would have been had we won the investigation. We're going to continue to try to mechanize. We're going to continue to work with the University of Florida IFAS on better varieties. 
We're going to continue to get better and more cost conscious about our growing operations. Unfortunately, we won't have any sort of temporary relief. That is what we were looking for. But at the end of the day, we're still going to do the things that we were going to do uh, had we been successful. You know, we are an important part of Florida agriculture. We're an important part of the blueberry industry nationwide. And that's not going to change. And, you know, growers are passionate about what we do. And we're passionate about making sure that our consumers have, you know, our product in their store. So we're going to definitely continue to do that. Appreciate you coming on the show, Brittany. Always appreciate working with you. And certainly Florida's fortunate to have you down there kind of leading the charge and and helping uh, drive the awareness and the understanding of what it takes to grow blueberries there in Florida and around our country. So Really appreciate you. Thank you for uh, being a part of the show today. Appreciate it. I just cranked down the AC one more degree. <laughs> now you're just rubbing it in. So <laughs> we better let you go. Uh, but seriously, thank you so much. All righty. Thank you, Casey. Well, I always appreciate my time with Brittany. She's an industry leader who is always available and always ready to do whatever it takes to help drive the success of blueberries. Now, normally I'd end each episode with some key takeaways, but I feel it's important to acknowledge Brittany's disappointment in the conclusion of the 201. I and all of the staff at USHBC recognize domestic growers' frustration with the challenges of a rapid increasing blueberry supply in the U.S. market. This is not just a Florida concern. We've heard this concern raised in our recent town hall meetings connecting with growers across the U.S. regions. As president of the USHBC, I do appreciate the candid calls and emails from growers giving voice to their concerns about the health and the prosperity of their farms and the blueberry industry. With the 201 behind us, we must recognize the importance of coming together as an industry and redoubling our collective efforts to drive increased demand across all consumer and customer channels through innovation and collaboration. The consolidation of production, global market pressure and increased supply, and the need to increase consumer consumption will always be there. That is the nature of modern global agriculture, and the blueberry industry is experiencing many of the same growing pains experienced by other global commodities. But I know that the blueberry industry is filled with too many smart, hardworking innovators for this to devolve into cutthroat competition and survival mode. USHBC, as a federal research and promotion program, is a grower-driven organization. Our legally mandated position and our responsibility is to work for you to drive demand. This is the mission originally written by growers and our annual demand building plans are created in partnership with growers and marketers. We work for you, but it is critically important that we also work with you together to help grow demand for the ever larger blueberry market produced every year. I want to be clear that I, the USHBC staff, and the industry leaders that help guide our program are 100% committed to maximizing the appeal and relevance of our consumer messaging and the efficiency of the programs in reaching those consumers. But this program, to really work, it is very important that we work in collaboration with growers and marketers to build this U.S. and global consumer demand and appeal for blueberries by increasing the consumption of blueberries in grocery retail with our Grab a Boost of Blue program that better reflects the taste and health benefits of a crop, in food service and food manufacturing channels through our Inspiring Possibilities campaign to increase the demand for blueberries and blueberry ingredients, and through our export channel efforts, open up new markets for U.S. growers and help promote the benefits of U.S. grown blueberries in international markets. Although it's been some time since we've had the opportunity to meet in person, 
Please know that we are committed to working every day with our grower leadership and through our virtual town hall meetings to face these new and future challenges together. There is a lot more that can be done to improve and capture the opportunity still yet ahead for blueberries. It won't be easy, and it's going to take the kind of unity and collaboration that this industry has built over many years to tackle the growing pains that come from rapid growth. Well, that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, We are going to be coming back next week with the beginning of our second season of the business of blueberries. And let me just say uh, a personal note of appreciation for all of you who have participated and been a listening audience to our first season, how much I appreciate uh, all of the feedback and all of the support we've received. So as we go into season two and we've had a chance to kind of digest all of the audience uh, listener survey information that you gave us, uh, it is with gratitude that we go from here Uh, providing you another season of this Business of Blueberries podcast. Uh, We wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for the inspiration that you have all provided us in repeating this each and every week and providing this as a resource to our industry. So I think on behalf of our whole team here at USHBC and uh, that puts together this podcast each week, thank you. And we will be back next week with more innovation, collaboration, family, and hard work right here on the Business of Blueberries.